the record begins now. All right, uh, Keith? Is my mic on? It is. I see your little thingy going wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. So that means you're on. We're live. We're live. We're live. We're doing it live. All right. Um, hey, you, and welcome to another episode of the That Chapter podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here with me and Keith as we are now today. Well, guess what, folks? It's Halloween. So today we are talking about the history of Halloween and it's Irish. So we're talking about Halloween in our Ireland today. <laughs> very close to home. Yeah, very, very close to home. Literally just down the road. Um, we thought it'd be a fun episode to do something, you know, obviously just talking about traditions of Halloween. We're both Irish and Halloween is a strong Irish connection. So it'd be funny to talk about that and some spooky uh, tales from the motherland, fatherland. How do people differentiate between which one's the motherland and which one's the fatherland? Do tell. Explain it to me. Now. Me? Uh, yeah. I, I just always tell with the motherland. Do people some call it the fatherland? Some people say fatherland. Do they? Yeah. Maybe, I don't know who. Maybe Italy is a fatherland because it looks a bit like a d- I couldn't have said it better myself, Keith. Once again, very eloquently explained. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's getting ready for spooky season, Keith. Mm-hmm. Do you like Halloween? Nah. No, I love Halloween. Man. Yeah. Halloween's the best. I have so many fond memories of mm-hmm. Halloween, uh, with you as well, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah many childhood memories of Halloween. We did. Yeah. For listeners at home, me and Keith grew up literally next door neighbours. Mm. Keith this is a couple of months older than me, so we kind of did everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we would go trick-or-treating together. Do you remember, like, we always had a, like, coming up to Halloween, like, a good, like, month or two months before, we'd have, like, a plan. Oh, yeah, yeah. We loved our plans. The estate to hit. Like, yeah. the different estates to hit to get the best candy, you know? Yeah. The, the best sweet. And the worst, like, there was only, like, three estates to go to where we were. Oh, was, yeah, yeah. There was our road. Yeah. There was our friend's road. Yep. Yeah. And there was a little cul-de-sac yeah. off that road. Yeah. But every year we spent a good month being like, which one we hit first? Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. A big plan for I'm the different saying, houses. Yeah. yeah. A little red string kind of plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And we were, I think we were too scared to go further afield. Although <laughs> the town we grew, like, we... It was a village. It was, it was a lot smaller back then. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing Halloween, getting your costume ready. Mm. It always had like the thing I remember most about Halloween is like it has this atmosphere on the night where you can smell fireworks in the air. You know, yeah. the smell fireworks and bomb. There was a lot of bomb. You don't see bonfires on anymore. You often. don't really see bonfires. It's hard to get a good bonfire these days. There used to be a bonfire that would be on every Halloween just then, almost at the end of our road. Yeah, it was. It was like uh, so the bonfire that used to happen at the end of our road. It was there was this old derelict farmer's cottage. With this, it was a tiny piece of land mm-hmm. surrounded by trees mm-hmm. and everyone from all the estates used to just cram into this one place and yeah. there was this massive bonfire I remember even as a child I was like this is not safe yeah <laughs> I still remember like the heat of it and seeing it from like because everyone had to be around. up in you were nearly like up in the in you were, had to be in the line of the trees because mm-hmm. any closer I seen a child fall into it once did it you? Was, it was a young lad. No, he was he was all right. He was he was he was grand. He was brush him off. He was fine. He was grand. He was running over to his parents. They didn't catch him quick enough. Like, they must have been drinking. And he just like kind of slipped, fell into the fire. They dragged him out. Wow. Yeah. He was grand. Shit. So I guess like I guess it's a health and safety thing. Why they don't do it anymore? But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it takes away. I mean, the danger adds adds to it. You know what I mean? Adds That's to fun. the fun. Yeah. It does. Yeah, you need a bit of danger, and everything's too safe these days. Listen here, folks. I've said it once. I'll say it again. The nanny state is taking over. <laughs> Actually, do you remember the house we always... Uh, so the house where... The farmer house where it used to have the bonfire was yeah. where the oh, evil clown lived. Spooky house, right? Yeah, it was this abandoned, really old house. And pretty much any urban legend was related to that house somehow. There were stories of this killer clown that lived there. 
that we told ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we end up fully believing it. Yeah. <laughs> Kids' imagination is a wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs> but uh, it was the killer clown lived there. Uh, you know, growing up, we probably just watched it. I'm pretty sure everybody growing up has stories of a killer clown in their town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the kids talk about it. And then, um, but then, yeah, of course, the place was haunted. I think I was too scared to go go into there. Yeah, I was. Yeah, there was a couple times where I I I definitely lost the ball there one time because like, oh no, because it's right beside a, a a football pitch. I remember yeah. we're out kicking the ball around, went too close to the the old shed. I was like, nah, no, nah, I'm not gonna. No, that's the killer clown. Pretty ball sure I'm putting the ball at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want that ball anyway. <laughs> exactly. Of course not. No. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so in this whole episode, we are embracing the spookiness of the month as we dive into the eerie origins of Halloween and investigate the intriguing tales of the spirits that haunt us on this night each year. That is a lot of spirits. I call them Jameson and (laughs) Johnny Walker. That's the spirits that haunt me, all right? Nice. So this is a topic that's very close to home for for us, for me and Keith in particular. Not only do we both love Halloweens, or... Well, it's my favorite time of the year, probably yours too. It is, yeah. Halloween has deep connections to ancient Celtic customs and boasts a captivating history in Ireland. So, the, this episode is like the haunted history of Halloween and also Irish spooky tales, hauntings, stuff like that, I guess is what this episode is about. It's got kind of a mix of everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll talk about, about Irish urban legends. We'll spook you out, but also give you a bit of history. Yeah, exactly. We like to learn on that chapter. <laughs> now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of... The movie Hocus Pocus. However, when Max Dennison says, Everyone here knows that Halloween was invented by the candy companies. It's a conspiracy. That is complete horse crap. And we're here today to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. Keith is very adamant that we get our credit. Us, us in particular, get, get the credit for inventing Halloween. Although <laughs> it was know. just us. <laughs> yeah, it was just us. We invented it. You're welcome. <laughs> so the origin of Halloween lies just a few miles from our present location, literally where we are recording this podcast 20 minutes down the road. That's where our ancestors, uh, probably, I presume it's our ancestors. Yeah, our ancestors used to gather and dance around bonfires all night to repel evil spirits as the veil between our world and the next grew faint on All Hallows' Eve. But yes, it's also a night for spooky movies, drinks with friends, and lots of candy and sweets. So you kind of gotta love it. So without further ado, let's give it a go. So, to begin with the Irish language, and you're gonna love this, folks. Halloween is referred to as Ihesauna, which means the Eve of Samhain. Samhain, in turn, is the Irish word for November. Therefore, Ihesauna essentially means the Eve of November. I mean, Samhain is the Irish word for November in modern language as we understand months today. Uh, The name is literally like the festival that the ancient Celtic peoples would celebrate to mark the end of the harvest season and that winter has begun. You know, it's funny. I actually posted on on Twitter that the Irish seasons are different from the rest of the world. Did you know that? The reason goes back to pretty ancient Celts and stuff like that. So... Obviously, the months are the same. Maybe it's to do with climate and celebrations and shit like that. But in Ireland, November is the first month of winter, right? Winter is November, December, and January. Spring then is February, March, April. Summer, May, June, July. Autumn, August, September, October, right? But in every other country, November is kind of as part of autumn or fall or whatever. So winter only begins in December for most other people for their seasons. I don't know why. The way I was taught it in school, I presume it has has to do with these Celtic festivals. Because this is... Halloween is literally a celebration of like, okay, the good times are over. We're going to have one big party and now winter is begun. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It's cold in, in November. It's cold and it's wet. Yeah. And the weather all year is rain. Yes, exactly. So I don't really know why they celebrate it because like the weather's going to be exact same. <laughs> <laughs> over 3,000 years ago in Ireland, Halloween had its origins in a pagan celebration known as Samhain, 
right here in the Boyne Valley County Meet. Now, the Boyne Valley is located in northeast Ireland, right? It's just 20 minutes. If you're in Dublin, 20, drive 20 minutes north and you'll be in it. It extends across almost all of County Meath and the southern part of uh, County Lea. It's very, very pretty. The, the Boyne River flows through it. There's a lot of really old stuff there. You got New Grange, and then you have other stuff like the Battle of the Boyne there and lots of historical stuff. But it's also a sacred and a mythical landscape packed into one wee valley. So the Celtic festival known as Samhain marked both the end of the annual harvest and the beginning of winter. At its core, it was a time for clan and kin to come together and reunite. Samhain encompassed various customs and ceremonies, all originating in Ireland, and some Scottish too, as we share a lot of cultural similarities. And these traditions eventually evolved into what we recognize today, this very day, as Halloween. So due to prolonged, dim, dark, old, wet old, even dirty old evening winter nights, a prevailing belief held that October 31st signified a period when the barrier between our world and the mysterious other world. Oh, barrier? Don't got kind of blurry. <laughs> Lost souls were released from the underworld to visit their mortal family and friends. However, evil spirits were also able to roam free during this time. The Ace She, the Tivshe, the Shiog, Banshees, Pukas, all had the opportunity to cross into our realm and engage in some good old mischief. Huge bonfires were lit on hilltops in anticipation of their arrival, and also in acknowledgement of the power of the ancient gods, and in thanks for the bounty that had been reaped from the land over the previous summer and autumn. Household fires were extinguished and reignited again using the flames from these bonfires, again representing the end of the old and the start of the new. Food was also prepared for both the living and the dead. However, the spirits obviously couldn't, you know, they have a hard time eating. They ate before the game. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Celts would also wear masks and costumes to disguise themselves from the other evil spirits that may be roaming around. This is, you know, the tradition of dressing up on Halloween still kept up today, although I don't think there were many Celts dressed up as slutty nurses. Slutty druid, per Maybe. chance. Maybe. Probably even hotter. <laughs> That's classic. The main hill where Halloween began is called Chlopta, now known as the Hill of Ward. This hill is it's, re, it's an important prehistoric site near the town of Athboy in County Meath. Have you ever been? To what? Athboy or the hill? Either. I've been, I've been to Athboy. I've drove through it. Okay. Uh, but I have not been to the hill. Must stop off there. We should. We yeah. should. We yeah. should be recording this from there. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I, I am going up to, uh, like we are going to the Boyne Valley for... For Halloween, uh, they do like pumpkin, uh, pumpkin patches and all that stuff. So there's a lot of festivals that happen around October. For it's a great festival uh, happening, the Puka Festival. Mm, there. I know we're actually going to we're going to talk about that in this episode. But yeah, it happens in the town of Trim. Mm. Uh, I was looking at it there the other day. If I wasn't not going to be here for uh, Halloween, I would definitely go. It looks really really cool. Yeah, it's awesome, man. and they keep a lot of like uh, there's a lot of stuff that's like kept within like old tradition and stuff. Mm. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's real old school Halloween, not like modern Halloween. It's mm. like ancient Celtic Halloween. So, legend has it, the hill took its name from the sun goddess called Chlokta. She was a red-haired daughter of the most feared one-eyed druid in all of Ireland. Ooh, this guy. Mogrua. Mogrua. He had a insatiable thirst for power. Nice. She accompanied him on his travels up and down the country, collecting all the knowledge and wisdom from the magical people of Ireland. However, once they had exhausted all the people of Ireland, they went on a world tour, a, nice. glo- a global tour, 
Now, you may be wondering, how did they travel around the world? Well, they flew in a machine called Roth Ramak, which is a spinning wheel of fire that carried them across the sky, of course. As you do. That is cool as shit. I want one of them. I want a, right? a Roth Ramak. The only way to travel in style. I know. A spinning wheel of fire? Hell yeah. So, Mog Rua, he had heard of a sorcerer in Italy called Simon Magus, who was said to be equally as powerful, so that's where he went. Now, Mogrua and Simon Magus, they had a lot to chat about when they met up. They had a lot of stuff to discuss, so they sent Chlokta on her own to the four corners of the world to continue gathering magical wisdom and knowledge. As but, you do. As you do. But when she returned to Italy and willingly handed over all the knowledge that she had procured for Mogrua and Simon Magus, they quickly realised that she was now the wisest and most powerful of them all. Can't be having that. No, absolutely not. Their jealousy, fueled by anger and hatred, just intensified, eventually leading them to hand Chlokta over to the three sons of Simon Magus, who then took her and defiled her. Fucking hell. Right? Yeah. Dark. Uncool. Not cool, guys. That's what I say. It's the official stance of that chapter <laughs> podcast. Uncool, Simon Magus. <laughs> so nine months later, Chlokta crawled back to the hill, uh, and that's where she gave birth to three sons. So Chlokta died giving birth, but in her dying breath, she called out the names of her three sons, Durb, Kuma and Muak. They went on to become great druids of Leinster, Connacht and Munster, which are three provinces of Ireland. So this is the origin of how Chlokta Hill got its name. And it all ties back to the very first Halloween when the fire of Chlokta was instituted. It was their custom to assemble on the eve of Samhain to offer sacrifice to all their gods. Mm. So people would come on pilgrimage from all over the county to take embers from the sacred fires and bring them back to their villages and settlements. You see, on that night, all of the settlement fires would have been put out and their world would have been plunged into darkness, waiting for the elected person to return with the sacred ember to reignite their fire. There's a quote from a 17th century chronicler in Ireland and it said, It was the obligation under penalty of fine to quench the fires of Ireland on that night. And the men of Ireland were forbidden to kindle fires except from that fire. Harsh words. Very harsh. Yeah, stern. Yeah. Mm, stern but fair. So these embers, they were carried home in a hollow turnip. Uh, the original Jack Lantern. Mmm. Mm. It did. Yeah, it yeah. came from a turnip. Which, I mean, uh, you can see why they changed it to pumpkins. Because a turnip? Real hard to carve. They're like True. rock hard. Yeah. And small. And small. Yeah, yeah. And kind of ugly and smelly too. We didn't have pumpkins though in Ireland. No, they weren't, they weren't big. A lot, lot of turnips. A lot of turnips. Do we actually, pumpkins aren't native to Ireland, I don't think. I think they're... I don't think so. No, I think they might come from the Americas. Yeah. That's probably because they had them. So, oh, well, there you go. That's don't, where it comes from. Don't quote me. I'm not... Uh, my agricultural... Yeah, exactly. I'm not, we're not, this isn't the horticulture <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, you, you can see why during this time that it felt like the, the veil between this world and the next was at its thinnest and the demons and the spirits will come out to play. There was... Mm. These villages were just in complete darkness. Yeah. There were no fires. They had to wait for someone to come back with an ember. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, spooky. Your mind starts playing tricks and you start exactly. seeing and hearing shit. Mm, so there was also a there was also ritual sacrifices made to appease the spirits and gods on top of Chalk the Hill. However, offerings were also made in the villages and settlements throughout the country to keep the demons and evil spirits at bay. It's believed that some vestiges of this tradition survived in the form of trick or treat. Ooh. Where children would dress up as fairies and ghosts and request offerings or treats from different households, or else they would face the consequences 
or tricks from these evil spirits. So there you have it. That's Trick or Treating 101. That's it. It was us guys. Yeah. You're welcome for the candy. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Ha- Halloween is a Irish pagan Celtic festival. Halloween, as we know it today, still contains elements from the old Samhain festival. Um, and also contains elements of Christian traditions, uh, especially when the Christian festival of All Saints Day and All Souls Day were moved in the medieval period to the 1st and 2nd of November, respectively. America's early Puritans, they had restrictions on celebrations and holidays of any sort. They were just non-existent. Mm, weren't party people. They were not. Uh, they were a grim bunch. Yeah. However... Everything shifted in the 1840s with the arrival of countless Irish immigrants who were passionate about Halloween and had fled Ireland due to the devastating potato famine. The influx of Irish immigrants played a significant role in the introducing and popularisation of Halloween traditions in the United States, ultimately leading to Americans embracing these customs. From here, America did what it did best and it capitalised on the holiday. And soon Halloween became as we know it today. Samhain is also still celebrated today, where it all began those hundreds and thousands of years ago, which is what we're mentioning earlier on, the Puka Festival. Puka Festival, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it still has, as I've mentioned, has uh, strong rooted traditions and celebrates Ireland as the birthplace of Iahauna. I've never been to the festival, but it's just down the road and it looks really, really cool. I'm kind of annoyed I've never actually gone to it previously, but yeah. Next year, man. Next year. Because you won't be here this year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So who were these eerie Irish spirits that made their presence felt on Halloween? Well, there were quite a few. And here are some notable examples of Ireland's most infamous spirits associated with this age-old celebration. First and foremost, by the way, I don't know why I was thinking of this. It's important to note that the Banshee, the Banshee, my friends, is always portrayed as a female spirit. And Banshee is probably the most famous, uh, or one of the most famous Irish kind of spooky tales. Um, the name actually comes from the Irish words banshee, which literally translates like ban, woman, mm-hmm. and then she, uh, fairy, or woman of the mound. However, her identity and appearance can vary depending on the source. In some accounts, the mysterious spirit of the banshee is depicted as an elderly woman dressed in black attire, her long hair concealing her face, which may appear wrinkled with sharp teeth. In other renditions, she takes on the form of a beautiful or pale young woman donned in white garments. She is often described as having long hair, and she may be seen holding or using a comb, her eyes typically blood red from crying. Regardless of these different depictions, the one consistent element in all the stories you'll ever hear about the Banshee is her eerie and hair-raising wail, rumored to be so piercing that it could shatter glass. The Banshee is renowned for her haunting wail, and if you happen to hear it on a lonely night, trouble may be on the horizon for you. Her eerie and mournful cries serve as a foreboding omen, signaling to all someone has passed away, or will, very, very soon. Numerous tales suggest that the privilege of receiving a warning from a Banshee about an impending death was reserved for the oldest Irish families. Individuals with surnames such as O'Grady, O'Neill, O'Brien, O'Connor, Kavanagh, those with an O or Mac in their surname, like O'Brien or McNeil, would be especially unsettled upon hearing the mournful cry carried by the wind. Which, we both have surnames that go along with that, so uh, I'm expecting to hear a wail anytime soon. <laughs> we are fucked. 
Uh, the Banshee is, is crazy because my grandmother claims she have heard, to have heard the Banshee. You've been telling me that before. I've told, so yeah, I think really I mentioned that before in a yeah, podcast yeah. before. Now, she was into, she was a woman from the country and she was very spiritual and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But yeah, she claims she heard it once. I mean, she's gone now. But, uh, you know, when she was still, still breathing, she, uh, she claimed she heard it one night and then somebody passed away oh. soon after. I wish I could ask her more about it, but obviously you can't. But uh, yeah, you, and you know what also? Did you ever see that movie Darby O'Gill and the yes. Little People? Yeah, yeah. The Banshee in that movie scared the fucking shit. It is terrifying. Out of me. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Literally watching it as a kid is one of the most horrifying things you'll ever see. It scared me so, so much. There, when I was a kid and I would have a bath, my, I have two older brothers and they would, they would stand outside the door <laughs> and they would make the noise the Banshee makes and I would start crying. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> yeah yeah Good so, funny. so yeah the banshee is scary so if you ever hear you know you're out one night and you hear this mournful cry apparently it's hair raising and terrifying to hear could be a banshee yeah it could be a banshee death people is... are genuinely afraid of like i was i was talking to my mum about this earlier really literally before i came down i was just she was asking what we're doing i was saying oh, we're doing the podcast today we're doing the history of halloween and she was like oh you're doing banshees it's like yeah and she was just saying when she was a child and terrified of banshees and like yeah. her grandparents were like and her mother were terrified of banshees banshees and fairies are yeah scary terrified about them in Ireland yeah like we never really had witches or well we had some witches but witches were never like as popular or like vampires or yeah. werewolves none of those like what you kind of expect from like Halloween yeah. folklore we had our own shit we had our own stuff and yeah. banshees and fairies yeah. terrifying yeah, yeah yeah definitely I think you can still kind of like feel like this weirdness well, I mean, we live like pretty close to the city, so not really. But when you go into the countryside in Ireland, it can be like, it can be kind of spooky out there sometimes. It's, There's a lot of history there. A lot of history. It does feel like, sometimes this country does feel haunted hope, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you like get out into the middle of nowhere, like you're, you're away from the city, you're in like the countryside. Anyway. But yeah, good times. So, uh, I don't know why I said it. But uh, yeah, well, you know, for me, being scared is good times. So in traditional Irish folklore, a banshee is often associated with locations like ancient mounds, ruins, fairy rings, or graveyards. Now, the concept of a wailing spirit foretelling death is not entirely surprising in Ireland, where wailing and death have deep cultural connections. Until fairly recently, keening, derived from the Gaelic word quina, meaning to cry or weep, served as a customary way to express grief for the deceased and the dying. In fact, there were even professional keeners, women who were compensated to attend wakes and funerals and essentially cry their eyes out. Like, you do it. I don't want it. It's embarrassing. You cry, cry, you cry for me. And you just paid them to do it. And it was great. Now, considering this, it's not difficult to understand how someone could draw a connection between keening and the creation of an eerie entity like the Banshee. I wonder if you can hire Banshees for your funeral. That'd be pretty cool. There's a bit of an old cry there. I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I need a hand. For those of you who never see Darby O'Gill and Little People, go onto YouTube and just Google or search the Banshee scene. The Banshee. And this is a movie for kids. Yeah. This is a children's, like, it's a, it's a Disney, it has Sean Connery in it. It's set in Ireland and it was like in the 50s, I think it came out. Darby O'Gill and Little People. And there's a scene with the Banshee in it and... Oh, it'll give you nightmares. It is terrifying. Even now, I'm like, ugh. No. Yeah, I know. It still creeps me out every time I see it. So there's other spirits as well within Ireland. And how can we talk about Ireland without mentioning leprechauns? Oh, Begora. There, we've done it. It's mentioned. And done. Moving, Moving on. on. Nothing else to say about leprechauns. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. So leprechauns, they don't boast the same ancient lineage as some other Irish supernatural beings. 
The earliest documented reference appears in a 8th century poem, uh, eventually transcribed into the saga of Fergus MacLehy. During the 11th century, while the exact origin and significance of their name remains subjects to debate, I'm sure everyone knows what a leprechaun looks like. Mm -hmm. But for those of you living under a rock, they are frequently depicted as petite figures, never exceeding a height of two feet, and are known for their well-groomed attire, uh, including a suit, waistcoat, and a hat. Mm, usually green. Leprechauns, they're renowned for their mischievous nature and are said to possess exceptional cobbling skills. They are known to have various treasures ranging from a single shilling in a purse to an extensive hordes of gold concealed in caves. Mm. However, those who succeed in capturing these elusive creatures often find themselves outwitted into releasing them. Mm. This can occur in exchange for three wishes or the promise of access to the treasure, Ooh. which mysteriously vanishes once the leprechaun is freed. God again. Gotcha, this fucking bitch. guy, yeah. <laughs> Fuckers. Regardless, leprechauns have solidified themselves in our culture and we even have a National Leprechaun Museum in Dublin. Yeah, probably the most famous uh, Irish-like mythological creature. Big time, yeah. I've even been asked if leprechauns are real before. Really? Yeah. They are. I know. We That's what I said. We just don't tell people. They're like, oh, no. Is this going to lie? Oh, no, no, no. Edit is out. Edit is out. I've never been to the Leprechaun Museum, have you? No. Why would I go to the Leprechaun Museum? It sounds <laughs> shit. <laughs> we are not tourism Ireland over here. I do not want to go to the Leprechaun Museum. I do not care. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's good. I have no idea. So there's other spirits as well. Pukas are mischievous shapeshifter type of fairy in folklore. According to legends, these creatures have the ability to transform into various animals, including goats, horses, cats, donkeys, bulls, dogs, foxes, wolves, hares, but always with a distinct jet black fur. Ooh. Among these forms, horses are the most common animal shape for these playful fairies. Categorised by sleek coats, wild manes and fiery red eyes. That's cool. Even when taking on human appearance, the puka still retains some animal-like traits. While stories of the puka are often vague and diverse, one consistent theme is their love of mischief. This mischief can manifest in various ways, but a favoured activity of the puka is assuming the form of a great black horse and luring an unsuspecting rider onto its back for a wild ride and unsettling nightmare. Typically, the person involved has consumed alcohol. However, even if they haven't, the puka bewitches them, leaving them in a sense of unease and hazy memories of a night gone awry. And that is definitely my new phrase for when I get drunk. I'm on the puka tonight, lads. I'm on it. <laughs> I love that, yeah. I guess they're using that too. I'm going on the puka. That's great. And how it fairies, which you also mentioned along the alongside the banshee, as being terrifying to people. I mean, you know, when we think of fairies, we think of, you know, what's that one called? You know, Captain Hook or whatever. Mm, Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, that's, that's your one. You know, small, cute fairy with little wings on his back, you know. In these magical forests and everything is really nice, magical ones. Um, Irish fairies are very, very different and not in a good way. No. In Irish folklore, the two of the Danon, were one of the original magical inhabitants of Ireland. These otherworldly beings had godlike powers and had magic. They were able to complete fantastic acts of strength, cunning, and craft. With the coming of humans, when humans landed to Ireland, or Celts did, these magical beings retreated underground to another realm. They were scared of the big boys, and so they hit, and they used their inherent magic to, to, to transform into the she. Commonly recognized today as fairies, little people, or wee folk. 
residing in mounds or fairy forts which are around the island. They wish to keep to themselves and watch over the land and the animals. There's actually a fairy fort pretty close to us. Mm, yeah, there is actually. Yeah, one of the back roads is pretty mm. cool. There's a lot of fairy forts around here. But even today, people are like, ooh, fairy forts are weird. Especially like some of the older generation. Older people will be scared of fairy forts. Yeah. Shouldn't go near them. Well, don't in, fuck with them. In my parents' garden, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, but sometimes during the, I don't know what happens, like in the spring or whatever, but a ring of mushrooms, like a perfect ring wow. of mushrooms encompasses like the whole garden. It's huge. Oh yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah, they're like, oh, and they're big. They're big, yeah. big mushrooms. And mom's always like, oh, the, the fairies are out. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't, like, she's asked me like, do you want to cut the grass? Like, I'm not going near that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to disturb it. Yeah, exactly. I'll leave them be. Leave them be. So famous for their mischievous antics when encountering humans, whether for their own amusing sport or just to play their superiority, their behavior tends to escalate during Celtic festivals such as Halloween. So, and folklore suggests that pre-Christian structures were constructed by fairy beings, and misfortune and illness can be attributed to offending these fairies, and individuals who vanish are believed to have been abducted by the little guys. Even various natural and supernatural events are often attributed to fairies, so as a rule of thumb, it's advisable to steer clear of provoking these mystical creatures. Entrances to the other world of the fairies are everywhere. Talk in caves, tombs, barrows, forts, even tree hollows and roots. Hawthorn trees, in particular, are often referred to as fairy trees. Sometimes you'll see hawthorn trees and have ribbons mm. uh, tied to them. You can see yep. that around all over the country, actually. Now, fairy forts are essentially the remnants of Iron Age and early medieval ring forts. Thousands of them obviously still exist around the country today. And so to avoid upsetting the little folk, farmers and landowners often work their fields while carefully skirting these forts. Similarly, they take care not to disturb uh, Neolithic tombs, which, again, there's actually a shitload around us as well. Stone circles and standing stones, all believed to have ties to the fairy realm. In fact, back in 1999, a new motorway was rerouted to preserve a sacred fairy tree. The fear of potential repercussions from fairies has led to the protection of numerous significant projects, safeguarding these historical sites and monuments associated with fairies. So, yeah, we should elect them. I feel we definitely should. I mean, they're doing a great job uh, protecting these monuments and the trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fairies Stop. for... Fairy- Stop. Fairies for office. Yeah, stop with the concreting of the world, folks. We need more, more of this stuff. You know, and, and all, joking, all joking aside, listen, we like to have a good time in that chapter, but let's get serious. The fear of fairies is very real. And in fact, there is an actual murder linked directly to the wee fairy folk. This is the haunting true story of Bridget Cleary's murder. Bridget Cleary was born on the 19th of February, 1869 in Ballyvadley, County Tipperary. At 18 years of age, Bridget pursued an unconventional career path as an apprentice in the field of dress making, which was rather rare for a young woman of her age with limited financial resources. She met a 27-year-old man called Michael Cleary while they were both working in Clonmel, County Tipperary. Michael worked as a cooper, constructing barrels and other goods. Then, in August 1887, the couple married in a small stone church. Now, they lived apart for much of the following year, Bridget in Ballyvedalee, perhaps caring for her sick mother, Michael in Clonmel. However, they soon ended up returning to the area where Bridget grew up. By the age of 26 in 1895, 
Bridget had become a skilled dressmaker and egg vendor, which is a nice little old business she had for herself. Where she, side could, hustle. where she could bring in her own money. Now, she had been married to Michael for eight years at this point, but they hadn't had any children yet, which was quite odd for, you know, back in the day, married Catholic couple and not having kids. Very Come on now. Like, going people on? having like eight, 12 kids. Oh, people were like rabbits back then. There's nothing else to do other than just have kids. However... They were doing quite well for themselves in comparison to their neighbours, and they were known to be you know, reasonably well off. While many lived in windowless, mud-walled houses with thatched roofs, the Clearies had a stone cottage with a pitched slate roof and glass windows. Probably able to afford all that because they didn't have shitload of kids to feed, <laughs> so they could actually do cool shit. Ooh, windows. Yeah, yeah, it was fancy. <laughs> On March 4th, 1895, Bridget set off to deliver some eggs to her father's cousin. Unfortunately, this journey would take her right past the ring fort on Kylnagrana Hill, a location otherwise known by many as a fairy fort. Now, in 19th century Ballyvadley, there was widespread belief that venturing too close to a fairy circle could result in abduction by one of those little bastards. These fairies had a tendency to target young children and attractive women. It was thought that fairies sometimes struggled with procreation, and so they would take mortals to enhance, and they gotta be enhanced, they gotta enhance their lineage. So in place of the abducted individuals, however, fairies would leave behind a changeling, a fairy made to resemble the kidnapped person. Frequently, the changelings could be distinguished by their odd behavior, falling sick, or subtle differences from the human they had replaced. As it so happened, when Bridget returned from delivering eggs on Monday, March 4th, she couldn't seem to get warm and became ill with cold. Over the next few days, her condition worsened. They reached out to a doctor, but he didn't arrive at the house until nine days after she'd first fallen ill. He assessed her condition as nervous excitement with mild bronchitis, <laughs> which is a good one. <laughs> and he provided her with a prescription. Good old, good old nervous excitement got you again. Later, that same afternoon, a priest administered Bridget the last rites just in case. He was here in the Banshee. That's it. Better safe than sorry, man. Never Better safe than sorry. Yeah. And so, the following days, her residence would be filled with several family members and local residents as apprehension grew that her ailment had a supernatural origin. Growing increasingly worried about his wife's well-being, Michael claimed that Bridget appeared to be two inches taller and too fine to be his wife. That's rude. I know. My, <laughs> she's too hot to be my wife. She looks like her, but hotter. It's not her. Why are you complaining? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and so, encouraged by a local resident, Michael's suspicions intensified, as the person suggested, that ain't your wife over there. They proposed seeking assistance from a local fairy doctor for a herbal remedy. On that evening, with the assistance of other men restraining her, Michael compelled Bridget to ingest a bitter mixture of herbs and milk, all the while shouting, Take it, you witch, or I'll kill you! In an attempt to expel the supposed fairy, they, they doused her with a urine and brandished a hot poker, which left her with her forehead scorched. We're giving her foul shit to drink, we're pissing on her, and we're burning her with a hot poker. Why is she acting so weird? <laughs> yeah, What's wrong yeah. with her, do you think? It's not her. It's a yeah. changeling. Yeah, yeah. It's, not the, it's not my real life. <laughs> Repeatedly, Michael interrogated Bridget, who appeared to be in a state of agitation and disarray. Who would have thunk? By the end of the night, however, a peculiar stillness pervaded the college, and Michael appeared content 
with his exorcism. They're probably just all exhausted from the torturing. Yeah, exactly, just passed out. The following morning, however, Bridget, after almost two weeks, dressed herself in her usual clothes and, and just have to feel normal again. But in the afternoon, some relatives gathered for tea. When Bridget requested milk, Michael, oh, he didn't like that, his suspicions flared up once more, as it was believed that fairies had a craving for fresh milk. And in Michael's mind, only fairies. Yep. Anybody no else. else who drinks milk is a changeling or a fairy or full of shit. As I like, I just imagine around the table, it's like, milk, yeah, milk, yeah, milk, yeah, and then Bridget, milk, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you bitch. <laughs> so he lost the rag once more and resumed his interrogation, his anger mounting. He repeatedly attempted to get her to say her name while getting her to eat three slices of bread. Yeah, and he was shoving it down as well. Yeah. yeah he was course. shoving bread. Say your name, say it. Shoving yeah. bread and... Gobble this down. When she did not reply for the third time of questioning, he stripped her, doused her in lamp oil and set her alight right there in the kitchen where she burned to death. He shouted that it was not his wife, but a witch he was burning. There was confusion after the event as members of her extended family were locked inside the house by Michael Cleary. And later that night, he got help from a relative to remove the body from the house. Her remains were found in the days that followed in a shallow grave not far away. For the following three nights, Michael patiently waited on Kyle Negrana Hill, anticipating the fairies would return his real wife, the real Bridget. He firmly believed that she would arrive at any moment riding a white horse through the ring fort. His plan? Set her free, and then they would journey back home together. However, he would be waiting a while. Before the real Bridget Wink Wink could return, the authorities intervened. All 10 individuals present in the house during the days surrounding the murder faced arrest, but only the men involved were handed sentences, varying from 6 months to 20 years. The trial court's records provide striking accounts from the witnesses, among them Bridget's cousin Joanna Burke and her 10-year-old daughter Katie. Court documents revealed that Michael was sentenced to 20 years for his involvement in the murder, for which he served 15. Upon his release, he departed for Liverpool and later relocated to Canada. So, did Michael Cleary genuinely subscribe to the belief that fairies had abducted his wife, or was his reaction driven by his inability to cope with his wife's deviation from the societal expectations of a typical housewife? Bridget had established herself as an independent woman, earning her own income as a skilled dressmaker and egg vendor, which can't be having that now. Women doing their own thing back in the 18... Nope. Selling oh. eggs? Don't think so. Yeah, not today. Not in a- this house. Are you having a yoke? Hey, very nice, my friend. <laughs> An old Irish nursery rhyme still leaves the question. Are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? I feel like uh, the way like, a lot of women were called out, uh, it, it was definitely like she, Bridget was an independent, strong woman yeah. uh, with her own little business that she was yeah. r- running. And it was very much like the witch trials mm. within Europe that were happening where like these strong women where it was just yeah. like, she's a witch. Where here, like a lot of people were called out as changelings. I, like it was, it was, it was so easy. It was just like any little slight difference, you know. Yeah. Just you look a little different, or you sound a little different. You don't seem like yourself. Yeah. Any you're, excuse you're a fairy, to keep women you know? under the control of the exactly patriarchal society. Yada yada yada. It's basically it's all the same. The fairies yeah. and the witches, same shtick. Same shit, different name. So I'm sure you're probably asking yourself. That was funny. I'd love to experience something like myself. Real knee slapper. Real knee slapper. Where can I go in Ireland to see a ghost myself? Well, there's nothing quite like a captivating ghost story on Halloween, and Ireland has no shortage of them. We do have a few. 
We do. When you blend our history marked by conflicts, famines and wars with rich tradition of folklore and mythology, you get a collection of narratives and legends that will send shivers down your spine. So, if you happen to find yourself in Ireland during the Halloween festivities, there are a couple of places you can go to give yourself the best chance of seeing a ghost. If you're brave enough. Ooh, are you? Me? No. No, me neither. No, I'll shit my pants. <laughs> so there's one place called Eglinton Lunatic Asylum in Cork. Eglinton Asylum is located in the Shanachiel area of Cork City. Within the desolate halls of this abandoned lunatic asylum, echoes of distressed spirits have been reported. The asylum, originally constructed in 1798 by William Saunders Harlan, was the birthplace of the first book of Irish psychiatry. Harlan was also the inventor of Harlan's Chair, a rotating contraption designed to spin hysterical patients <laughs> at an astonishing rate of 100 revolutions a minute. I love that. This person is clearly having a lot of difficulties. Let's spin them. Spin them really, really fast. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Spin them again, lads. They use it all the time. So pa- patients, they would be securely fastened to this chair and then they just whirl them around at incredible speed. A popular treatment method at Eglinton Asylum <laughs> Believed to cure just about anything at the time. <laughs> Except for diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be anywhere near that chair when the diarrhea hits. <laughs> In the early 1900s, Eglinton Asylum was rebranded as Our Lady's Hospital. But this change of facilities and name didn't significantly impact the treatment provided to its occupants. The institution remained in operation until the 1960s and numerous individuals claimed to have encountered paranormal phenomena. These reported experiences include sightings of apparitions resembling former residents wandering the corridors, weeping ghosts, nurses, and notably eerie sounds emanating from the second floor where the treatment rooms were situated. These unsettling noises comprise of screams and unsettling dragging of chains, as if the souls of the departed are desperately attempting to liberate themselves from their perpetual torment. This um, reminds you of, remember that film we watched, Grave Encounters? Grave Encounters, I love that movie. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. We should go to Eglinton Lunatic Asylum. It's all the way down in Cork, man. So far away. But yeah, that'd be cool. We should film. That'd be cool if we filmed like a, a video there. Or something did yeah, a, yeah. one of those like, uh, like did a grave encounter. Mm, yeah, Explore yeah, yeah. it. Look for some of them ghosts in Our Lady's Hospital, which, well. By the way, is every second hospital in Ireland called Our Lady's something? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. There's so many Our Lady's Hospitals. So now, let me tell you about the story of Alice Kittler. And this is a, uh, this is a really good story, by the way. So we're going to go through the story of Alice Kittler kind of briefly, because, you know, we're covering a lot of different things in this episode of the podcast. But this is definitely one which deserves a full-on deep dive, because mm. it's a very interesting story of probably the most famous witch in Irish history. Definitely the first witch. Mm. Alice Kittler was a historical figure associated with one of the most famous witchcraft trials in Ireland during the Middle Ages. She was born in the year 1263 into a wealthy Anglo-Norman family in Kilkenny, in Ireland. Alice Kittler was known for her marriages to wealthy men, which gave rise to rumours and suspicions in her community. See, her first three husbands all died under mysterious circumstances, leading some to believe that she had used witchcraft or poison to dispose of them and acquire their wealth. Now, it's worth noting that during this period, accusations of witchcraft were often used as a way to target women who were perceived as powerful or unconventional, just like a changeling. In 1324, Alice was formally accused of witchcraft and heresy by the Bishop of Ossory, 
Oh, God. Richard Deledret. <laughs> Probably butchered that, but uh, he's <laughs> dead 800 years. Fuck. Richie. Richie. Oh, yeah. Richie Doodle. He believed that Alice and her associates practiced a form of heretical witchcraft that involved making pacts with demons and engaging in various occult practices. The charges against her included her alleged involvement in the death of her husbands and heretical beliefs that were deemed contrary to the teachings of the church. Alice Kittler's trial in 1324 was one of the earliest recorded witchcraft trials in Ireland. She was, of course, the central figure in the proceedings, but her maidservant, Petronella de Meath, was also accused of witchcraft. Now, somehow, maybe true witchcraft, I'm not saying, but I'm going to say it, witchcraft, Alice managed to escape custody before the trial concluded and fled to England, where she disappeared, while Petronella, her assistant, was convicted and became the first person in Ireland to be burnt at the stake for heresy and witchcraft. Despite her escape, Alice's trial left a lasting mark on Irish history and is often cited as a significant moment in the history of witchcraft trials. And to this day, there is in fact a pub called Kittler's Inn in downtown centre of Kilkenny. The building is traditionally associated with the Kittler family and claims to have its own resident witch, which still roams the property. The inn says Dame Alice Kittler is a frequently felt presence in the bar and may even have been caught on camera. They claim a staff member took a few pictures of a guest with some friends and when they looked at the photos, there behind them was a black shadow heading up the stairs. In the second picture, the shadow had moved, which discounts any tricks of the light. I've, I, I go to Kilkenny a lot. I've been, I've never actually been inside Kittler's Inn. Um, I've been around it many times, walked past it a million times. Their sign out front is a black cat. Um, it's really, like, it's literally right beside the, the River Noor. Definitely one of the oldest parts. Yeah. Probably the oldest part. It's like, it's, it's right beside the castle. It's like the center of Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's right, right oh. beside the main bridge. And uh, hmm. yeah, yeah, it's cool. It, it, it's like, yeah, if you guys ever get a chance, listeners, if you ever get a chance, go check it out. It's a really old place. Pretty cool. We should have to do a, an old deep dive of Alice. Yeah, it's yeah, really, it's, really that, it's a really mm. super interesting, super interesting story. There's a lot in it. Very, very good. So if you're looking for more places to go in Ireland, mm. uh, we have plenty more. Um, yeah. If you want to get spooked out. So one of them is called the Hellfire Club. Ooh. Montpellier Hill, famously known as the Hellfire Club among Dublin locals, offers a picturesque setting for a leisurely stroll. Perched at its summit is a substantial hunting lodge, the backdrop for a series of eerie legends. Mm, the Hellfire Club is very cool. I've been to it many times. So uh, for those of you who don't know, again, I'm just kind of assuming that listeners don't know anything. It's the easy way. To, no, I mean, you know, don't know anything about <laughs> yeah, what yeah. we're talking about. So yeah. in Dublin City to the south of the city is hills and mountains. So Montpellier Hill uh, overlooks the entire city. When you're up there, you can see the entirety of Dublin. It's, it's really cool. Like, it is really nice and it's surrounded by these really, like, dense forests and yeah, stuff. So yeah, it's, lovely, yeah. it's actually really nice for going for a walk up the hill. You go through these forests, you can get lost there. There's lots of really cool stuff to find. And then you go up to the top and there's this really, really old abandoned stone structure, hundreds of years old, and you can get this great view. I actually filmed it. For those of you who might be interested in having a visual of this, I actually filmed the video on the channel. Yeah. In the Hellfire Club. Uh, I did it years, like, probably like 2018, maybe. Uh, it was one of the early videos on the channel when I was doing some of that travel stuff, which yeah. maybe I'll be doing again. Ooh, Ooh no spoilers. But uh, yeah, so there's your listening. Go check out that chapter channel if you want to see what it looks like. You can find a video of me telling you the story while I'm actually at the place. Would you say to give it a go? I would definitely say to give okay, it a great, go. Okay, great, great. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of my own catchphrase. <laughs>
Originally, uh, an ancient passage grave crowned Montpellier Hill, adorned with a stack of stones forming a cairn. However, in 1725, William Speaker Connolly, one of Ireland's wealthiest individuals, erected a hunting lodge on the same site. As the story goes, Connolly dismantled the cairn during a delodged construction, utilising one of the standing stones from the grave to use as his fireplace. So <laughs> Nice. I know, right? Gonna have that good ass fireplace, like. though. Yeah. Subsequently, a storm wrecked havoc on the secluded lodge, blowing off its roof, and local lore attributed this uh, calamity to a vengeful spirit seeking retribution for the Cairns desecration, thus igniting a series of haunting tales. Following Colony's passing, the lodge changed hands and reportedly became a meeting spot for the Irish Hellfire Club. This society was established in 1735 by Richard Parsons, a man with a reputation for dabbling in the occult. The club met at various locations throughout Dublin and gained notoriety for their immoral conduct categorised by excessive drinking and indulgence in sexual activities. Sexual activities. Very nice. It sounds like it would be pretty awesome to be a member of the Hellfire Club, to be honest. Now, I know there's a Hellfire Club, they were all over Britain as well. I believe there was quite a few in uh, England. It's like it was like a, a British thing that they had one here when we're part of that. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a really good time. I'd like to subscribe, please, for your yeah. newsletter. Get the lads together, have your <laughs> drinks, get some loose women up. Get on the book at the night, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> we should form our own Hellfire Club. Let's bring it back. We're bringing it back, folks. So the secrecy surrounding the club fueled speculations of their involvement in devil worship. Their leader, referred to as the King of Hell, would dress himself up as Satan. Nice. Complete with horns, wings and hooves. It was rumoured that members would set a place at each meeting for the devil himself, hoping for his presence. Mm. Dark rumours also circulated about black masses held in the lodge, during which cats and even servants were sacrificed. Some claim that the lodge was initially set ablaze to intensify its sinister ambience. Today, the Hellfire Club remains burnt out and abandoned on Montpellier Hill, You'll find it located in Double Mountains, about 30 minutes drive south of the city centre, which is what you said. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty, pretty cool. It is. It's just a nice area up there. You know, you can imagine like, um, I remember, you know, people would go up there and record at night and make ghost hunting videos or on Halloween and shit like that. Like, I'd say it's really active around those times. Um, I remember like, uh, yeah, some, you, you know, you hear weird stories about the Hellfire Club and who knows if it's bullshit, but, you know, a person being up there and seeing groups of hooded people in the woods that surround the club that we, kind of stuff you know a deep dive into the hellfire club in general just not just yeah. dumb but the uh, britain as well like yeah 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 it was a whole a whole thing i mean i don't know if it was more than just a name they just had a badass name but it was literally just a drinking club yeah yeah yeah. but let's do a deep dive and find the fuck yeah yeah and the whole story about like the place being burned down it's very similar to uh loftus hall mm. down in what? waterford yes yeah, yeah, yeah it's in waterford so near um, Hookhead in Waterford, there's a big lighthouse. This is on the very south coast of Ireland, Hookhead. Do you know what I'm saying? By hook or by crook? Yes. yes that yes. comes from there? No way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when our Oliver Cromwell, I believe, was conquering Ireland and he was genociding, butchering people. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, he said he was going to take Waterford City by hook or by crook. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I can't remember what crook part stands for, but by hook was Hookhead. Anyway, near Hookhead, where there's a big old lighthouse, and it's pretty cool, uh, there's a, this, this big, uh, big mansion called Loftus Hall. Now, it's, it's been abandoned for a while, 
but the story is that, you know, it's one of the good old ghost stories. And they're all kind of the same. But yeah, it's like back in the day, hundreds of years ago, uh, you know, the, the guy was there uh, living in it, some rich guy. And on a cold, wet winter's night, a traveler emerged knocking on his door. Knock, knock, knock. Asked to be let in, seek refuge for the night. And, uh, you know, he lets him in or whatever, and they start shooting the shit. They, he gives them some food and they're yapping away, whatever. And then they go to like play, play chess or something like that. And um, so they're playing away, the stranger and this guy, and then the stranger is winning. And at one point, the lord of the manor, he, I think he accidentally knocks over a chess piece. So he goes down to pick it up. And what does he see? The stranger has hooves for feet. Ooh, I thought I heard clip-clopping on the way in. <laughs> that explains it. I thought it was your shoe. And of course, then, once the stranger realizes that he's been you know, see, it's the devil. Like, he realizes that he's been figured out. He you know, disappears from the house in a fireball and sets the entire home on fire. That's cool. It's, yeah, it's a cool story. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's very similar to all the stories. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure the Hellfire Club has the exact same story. Exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's probably around the world. It's places have the exact same. It's the same urban legend repeated again and again. But the place is abandoned. You used to be able to do ghost hunting tours in Loftus Hall. Oh, sick. Because yeah. um, I, I haven't really read into it, I haven't done a deep dive, but I believe there's a lot of like paranormal activity, mm. you know, quote unquote paranormal activity yeah, yeah. associated with it. They used to do ghost hunts. Um, I think they stopped a couple of years ago. But uh, that would have been cool to do. Like, you know, you could go in, they'd stay overnight, and they'd be like, oh, oh I feel yeah, this yeah. room is cold. <laughs> blah, 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 the usual shit. I've just seen an orb. Yeah, exactly. An orb. <laughs> one of, the fucking orbs again. I fucking hate orbs. It's like the shittest foam form goes something. Yeah, it's, yeah, and yeah. it's like, wow, an orb. Great. Just show me a face. Exactly. So show me something cool. Continuing on. With so haunted places. With haunted places within Ireland. So again, if you're, if you live in Ireland or you're coming to Ireland and you want to go somewhere to see a ghost, and there are so many. Like, there is a like, lot. This We're is giving like, you a short list. Yeah, but I, these aren't even like the best ones. I just kind of yeah. picked some good ones. But yeah, I mean, I filmed the video in uh, that castle. Uh, its name is like total, I'm totally blanking on it right now. That castle in County Offaly. That's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in Ireland. It's called Leap Castle. Um, I filmed. You think I'd remember because I filmed the video there <laughs> uh, again in the early days of that chapter. Around the same time as when I went to the Hellfire Club. And you know, it's this really. It's a medieval cl- castle. It was abandoned. It's in County Offaly. And, um, yeah, it's haunted. It's an extremely haunted uh, castle. Haunted by numerous ghosts, but particularly by one spirit called the Elemental. It's a demon. Right, so we were, oh man, you know, I'd read a lot about it online. I kept on hearing it again and again. And so we drove over there. Uh, me and my wife, girlfriend at the time, and another friend drove over there one day. It's, you know, it's a good bit away. But, um, so the house is owned by a guy now. He just bought it. Like, it was an abandoned castle. He bought it off whoever and he's like redoing it but it's him and his family like he's not a rich guy or anything so a lot of the castle is still in extensive ruins but you know some like the ground floor is kind of like modernized not it's not even modernized it's made to look still like a castle but he's doing it up or whatever anyway so yeah it's really really creepy place it's just like a castle it's tall it's more it's like it's not like a big castle like if you're thinking of like yeah hogwarts it's more like skinny 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 castle it has like four or five floors on it um but at the top on the very top floor, there is what's called an oubliette, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't there. terrifying, yeah. Yeah, so an oubliette, for those of you who yeah. don't know, is where they would throw prisoners and essentially people that didn't like them this hole and just leave them down there. Forget about them. Forget about them. Yeah. I think oubliette literally is French for, like, to forget to, or something like that. To forgotten or to forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, this isn't like a jail or a dungeon. Yeah. This is, they literally throw you in this hole and you would never, they'd just leave you to die. 
Sometimes they throw food down to kind of keep you alive, but sometimes it's that, that would just nothing. extend your torment. That's it. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, in this castle, uh, there was like numerous bones and shit found in there. There's other stories the guy was telling us. Um, it was so funny because we were there and we were like, oh, you know, tell us the ghost stories and shit like that. Oh, you know, I was like, yeah. jumping out the bit to be here about yeah, this. Yeah. And he was like more interested in the history of the place. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, this was, you know, built by the Normans in like the 1200. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Fast forward, fast this far, get to the ghost. But he's telling some really interesting stories. There was like a bloody, you know, what's that in Game of Thrones? The bloody wedding, the red wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, there was something similar to that had happened mm. in this castle where uh, there was a wedding. One of the, you know, the Lord's sons was getting married to somebody else. And anyway, the wedding ended up in a full butchery. But uh, yeah, the castle is very, some very creepy aspects. Like my wife even felt some, she felt really weirded out yeah. at some places. Um, there was a I, vibe. Yeah, there was a really bad vibe. Like even some places I felt there was strong vibes. Coming. Like and I wouldn't be into it. Like I, I'm into it, but I wouldn't be like, ooh, this room is cold. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be, I'm, I'm excited to hear about it, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say I'm sensitive to all this kind of stuff. But in that place, there was definitely weird. But I mean, hey, maybe it's just my mind playing tricks on me because I knew it had a lot of stories about it. But there's one thing called the yeah, the elemental, and apparently it's the most terrifying spirit that lives there, and uh, it's it's um it's accompanied by the smell of sulfur. Mm. So if you ever smell sulfur, it's nearby. And I did actually smell sulfur at one point. No way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really weird. Genuinely, I'm not bullshitting. But I mean, you know, it could just be like a fucking loose pipe or something like that. Yeah. You know, it could be some a little matcher. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It could be yeah. a million different things, but it was. You know, you get some weird feelings there, some yeah. weird vibes. I mean, even the fact that there's an oubliette there is, like, creepy as all hell. Yeah. It's truly in the middle of nowhere. So when you're up there, you get this great view of the Irish countryside, all the fields and rolling hills. Like, it's very pretty, but it truly does feel like a forgotten castle there. Of like, And it's, like, 800 years old. So it truly does feel like you're walking into history. But very dark and haunted gothic history. Well, I'm sold. I'm going to go. Yeah. Check it, it out. Awfully. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I was in County Offaly. Uh, your man doesn't charge. Oh, no. Uh, cool. People, but he's a musician, so he was oh, selling okay. CDs. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I did buy one. Yeah. Check out my band. Yeah, exactly. He does like, uh, well, he's like an old guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, like, he had long white hair, long white beard. He played like um, traditional music. So like, you know, flutes and tin whistles and that kind of stuff. Uh, but he was a cool guy. He was really nice. He was really generous with his time and he was interesting. He was interested to tell stories and I'm sure he gets people there all the time, but he didn't seem bored by telling the story yeah. to three random folks who just showed up. Nice, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely give it a definitely give it a shot myself. Mm. Um I guess staying with castles then. So uh there's another castle called Capra Castle. Um and there are as like as we've been talking about there, there are hundreds of haunted castles in Ireland, but we're going to take a quick look at Cabra Castle for now, which sure. is in Kings Court, County Cavan. So one of the most notorious tales dates back to the 1780s when the castle's owners had a son who fell deeply in love with a servant named Sarah. Their love burned passionately, but had to remain a silent pledge due to the property and social constraints. The secrecy was shattered when Sarah became Pregnant, Uh-oh. prompting her lover's family to issue a dire order for her demise. As the legend goes, she was seized from the servants' quarters within the castle and forcibly dragged into a nearby forest. Yikes. There, her life ended as she was hung from a bridge. It is said that even today, in the dead of night, the chilling cries of an infant can be still heard. Some have attested to the to experiencing an eerie presence within the courtyard rooms and near the ominous hanging tree located on the grounds. One guest reported encountering a man dressed in early 20th century military attire striding down a corridor. Another claimed to have heard the arrival of a horse and drawn carriage in the courtyard during the darkest hours of the night. 
delivering a wailing infant to the hotel's doorstep. Ooh, that is creepy. It is creepy. Uh, one of the most recent occurrences took uh, place in May during the COVID pandemic. The proprietor became convinced that she spotted a de- the silhouette of a woman peering out from a window within the castle while she was taking her children for a stroll around the castle grounds. This intriguing sight was accompanied by the barking of Mr. Higgins, the resident Irish wolfhound, uh, directed at the very same window, despite the castle being unoccupied at the time. Ooh, that is creepy. I've been to Cabra Castle. Cabra Castle in County Kjelvin. You're in Kjelvin, you see. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to Cabra Castle twice now. I don't, I don't think I met Mr. Higgins, the dog. I believe it was Molly. Molly, they always have an Irish wolfhound? There's always an Irish wolfhound at the door. I don't ah. think they last very long. I think the Irish wolfhounds are Do they? I'm pretty sure they only have, like they're big dogs, but yeah, they oh, have yeah, yeah, like yeah. a life expectancy of about seven years or something. Wow, that's pretty shitty. I actually didn't. I don't know much about dogs, but yeah, Irish Wolfhounds is yeah. Well, yeah, life expectancy six to ten years. Usually, the bigger the dog, the shorter it lived, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I've never had a. Now, in fairness, now I've been to the castle twice. Both have been for weddings. Ooh. I think if a ghost was jumping on my head, I wouldn't woke up. I was <laughs> very drunk. You're <laughs> on the puka. <laughs> I was on the puka. Wow, that's cool. Is it nice? It's a lovely castle. It's very but nice. Is it haunted? Not that I've seen, but I, I know, like, again, like, if we ever, if we're ever off touring around Ireland, we should pop in, see which are the haunted rooms, which Ooh, are not. Let's go to go the see, hanging tree. Go see the ground, or the, yeah, the, or the tree. Is it hanging bridge, sorry. They hung off a bridge, but there's also, like, a, I think, yeah, there's a hanging tree as well, locating grounds, I think. Yeah, these people urban the legends are usually very, uh yeah, it's over, it's like the tree, but it's also the bridge, but yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. there, it's all kind of just generally kind of spooky in yeah. the end. Yeah, so there you go, folks. That's uh, so that's uh, Ireland and our Halloween traditions we have here. Uh, so yeah, pretty pretty. Inter- I hope you guys find it interesting. It's pretty interesting. It's a lot of uh, obviously pretty heavily associated with where we are right now. So um, yeah. yeah, history I, of Halloween I, I enjoyed and some it. spooky tales. Local does you know we decided to sp- stick local. For now, most of the stories we tell are a lot of them are American based. Hmm. You know, be- people always ask me why do I cover so many stories from America. It's quite simply they're most open with sources yeah that's why i always cover america stories because a lot of other places yeah. don't release information about a about a case so you know i hope you enjoyed this one which is set in ireland and the haunted history mm. of uh this old place so yeah <laughs> keith's just staring at me is like are you wrapping this up yes we are uh keith final word you said you'd have one ready uh you fucking better god damn i completely forgot i said i'd have a final word um, i guess if you're at a bonfire this year just mm. be careful don't fall in because mm-hmm. People be falling in. People be falling <laughs> in, yeah. All right. Well, here, listen. Happy Halloween, everybody. Hope you have a great night. Stay safe. Stay spooky. And thanks for listening. All right. You guys have been great. Thanks. See ya.